Welcome to Awakenings Movement Podcast. Awakenings Movement is a community where dreamers become believers and believers become doers. Okay, so this week in our nation's history is, has been pretty dark. Um, you know, and um, dude, I found this picture. Like, these people should be at church today, you know? And I'm gonna try not to get emotional. I'm, I'm pregnant, so you know, it's an overdrive. So y'all just bear with me if I, if I do. But the, when I first heard the news on Thursday morning, the first thing that I thought about was you all. I was like, oh my God, what would I do if we were having a meeting like we always do and someone came in with an intent to hurt us. Like, what would I do? I'm, I literally was like, I, I knew better to ask Marlon if we should get some HPD in here. He would be like, no, we do not need no HPD, you know? But I was like, see, right now, I got y'all. <laughs> see, see, see? <laughs> y'all, let me say something about Christian men. Christian men love opportunities to like, to like fight and tackle because they gotta be so peaceful everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right here. Mr. Marvin. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, podcast listeners. Devon, where's yours? Devon, where's yours? Devon, I think I think yours is in my lunch kit. I think yours is in my lunch kit. <laughs> podcast listeners, uh, two men just pulled out knives in the service to communicate how secure we are. Here at the Awakenings Movement, please feel free to drop by. Don't worry. We got you. You're safe. <laughs> um, so again, I knew better than to ask about paying for some security because we got security. Um, but you know, guys, it just it just hurts. It hurt my heart. It hurt my heart that people were gathering to do something good. It hurt my heart that someone literally communicated his intent to hurt them and still move forward with his plan after an hour of sitting with them. Um, it's just, there's so many details about this story that just are blowing my mind. That, and I keep, and when I first started to kind of do the research for this Sunday's true communication, I wanted to do a whole Dylan, you know, crawl through his life. But I was like, you know, I feel like what God wants us to do is really dig through the life of Christ and see how Jesus responds to times of danger, times of trouble, and times of extreme um, peril so that we can gird ourselves and know uh, how, how to respond. So that's where we're going. And at Rebecca's dad's um, funeral yesterday, um, there were several songs sung, some scriptures were read. Some, one song was sung four times. I was, Jesus keep me near the cross. I was like, boy, I, I know the words to this song now because we, the, the pastor kept asking us to sing it. He was like, I just think that it's so important for us to understand that if we're not near the cross, then we, we're nowhere, you know? And so, but one of the scriptures that he read was this Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth, a right time for birth and another for death, a right time to plant and another to reap. Can y'all read that? 
A right time to kill, another to heal, a right time to destroy, another to construct, a right time to cry, another to laugh, a right time to lament, another to cheer, a right time to make love, another to abstain, a right time to embrace, another to part, a right time to search, another to count your losses, a right time to hold on, and another to let go, a right time to rip out, and another to mend. Let's read this one together. Go. A right time to shut up and another to speak up. Let's keep going. A right time to love and another to hate. A right time to wage war and another to make peace. Now, this was written by Solomon, who is uh, hailed in scripture and in history as one of the wisest men to ever walked the earth. And so one of the questions that I had as I was thinking about this scripture is like, what time is it right now? Like for people who are literally applying their faith to their daily lives, for people who are wanting to understand how God wants us to operate in our everyday experience, what time is it? And so I was obviously spending too much time on Facebook. I had to get off Facebook for a little bit this week because it was rough. But um, on Facebook, I saw some really interesting posts that, some, that a Christian uh, Artists have put on the shooter's wall about him already being forgiven. And, you know, even though you've done this thing, we love you and we forgive you. And I thought that was very beautiful. I thought that was very noble. And then I saw some comments from some people that was like, blank that, turn the other cheek, blank. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's not the time for that. You know, you know, there is some action that must be taken. And so that was, you know, my, that led to my next question, which is I know there's a scripture in the Bible where Jesus kicked over some tables. So in this time in our culture, do we turn the other cheek or do we kick over some tables? You say kick over tables. Okay. We got one vote for kicking tables. We got two knives. Uh, <laughs> we got a boxer in the room. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ella said, podcasters, knuck if you buck. Thank you, Ella. <laughs> One of the examples that we share all over the world as uh, evidence of God moving through awakenings. Ella Russell, knuck if you buck. Okay, so turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. This is the story of Jesus kicking over them tables. And I wanted to read it because I was like, what were the circumstances, as Marlon has trained us to do, I want to become an anthropologist in the scripture. Um, and, and look at this story from Jesus' eyes and say, okay, what happened in the temple to where Jesus, like, went hard? Like, th this was not the peaceful Jesus that's on my mother-in-law's refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, like, a scary, <laughs> this is a, 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 a man who is angry. Um, Jesus went straight to the temple. This is, you know what? This is the same day that he rode into Jerusalem on a, a donkey colt. This is the same day. So he rode down on the donkey colt. He got off the donkey. He went to the temple and he towed the temple up. Jesus went to, straight to the temple and threw out everyone who had set up the shop, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of loan sharks and the stalls of dove merchants. Stop. So if we were to give this term some modern language. What did the temple look like when Jesus walked in? A flea market, a pop shop, a pop-up shop. Did anybody ever go to King's Flea Market before it was demolished? The temple looked like King's Flea Market. 
Like that is just inappropriate. Loan sharks, dove merchants. I'll say you this dove, you can get blessed if you have a dove, you know. So people were manipulating the sacred space that was a temple for their own financial gain. He quoted this text, my house was designed a house of prayer. You have made it a hangout for thieves. Now there was room for the blind and crippled to get in. They came to Jesus and he healed them. So fed up, Jesus turned on his heel and left the city for Bethany where he spent the night. So Jesus went in here, he drove out everybody, and then he stomped out of the temple and like stayed in another city for the night. So this is, again, not the Jesus that this, this, this you know, timid Christian image. This is a, a, a powerful, angry person who is like, no, this ain't right. So John, who calls himself in scripture the one that Jesus loved, has another account of this. Uh, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts and found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So let's read, let's read verse 15 together. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So Jesus was like, you know what? Literally grabbed some cords, made a whip out of them, and just started whooping everybody out of the temple. <laughs> Including the animals. The animals were probably like, ah, what do we do? Ah, we just, like. <laughs> And then he uh, Rick James the money of the people who were exchanging it. He literally like took their coin and was like, uh, 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 uh. You know, he turned over the tables like, this is some serious aggression here. And it is not a sin in this scripture. Now, disclaimer, please do not go to work tomorrow morning. <laughs> And make a whip out of your computer cords <laughs> and start overturning the work tables that your office paid for. That is not what I'm advocating here. But I do want to explore what happened for principles for how we should respond in times of danger, right? There is some, in Jesus' mind, I believe that he saw danger in the temple, he saw thievery happening. He saw um, manipulation, and he saw people getting cheated, and he said, this can go really bad if I don't do something right now, right? So again, this, this, this truth communication is not a, to be used as justification for wilding out at work, okay? There are very few times in our lives where we are in extreme danger. However, as believers and as followers of Jesus, we do need to be equipped with Jesus' principles for responding in a dangerous situation, right? Okay. So he said, to those who sold doves, he said, get those out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus was so zealous for God's plan for this house to be a house of prayer that his anger consumed him. And he did whatever he had to do to stop what he thought was wrong that was going on, okay? So we've been talking about ego versus purist likeness. And this thematic series has been one of my favorites because <clears throat> I really have developed some personal tools 
for responding in my purest likeness and not out of my ego. So here's just a, a brief recap. The ego is our self-image. It's not our true self. It's characterized by labels, masks, images, and judgments. Let's read what the true self is together. Ready, go. The true self is the field of possibilities, creativity, intentions, and power. Keep going. We can go beyond the ego through self-awareness, awareness of our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and speech. So we operate in our purest likeness. If we operate in our true created self, that means we are operating fueled by our intentions. We're operating out of a strong sense of power. We're operating with possibility. And we're operating in creativity. And so we know that when we are operating out of the ego, we put on a mask. We develop these labels. We're concerned about our image and we're worried about judgment. No, there's, there's a J. It's just cut off on the projector. Um, we know that we become more self-aware of our beliefs, our behaviors, thoughts, and speech, and then that gives way to the intentions, the power, possibility, and creativity. Today, I want to talk about behavior, right? I want to talk about how operating in our purest likeness, even in the most emergent and dangerous situation, how we can maintain controlled behavior that's fueled by possibility, that's fueled by creativity, that's fueled by our intentions and not by our fear. And so it's, this is a very interesting God has really uh, aligned our community to be um, woven with a tapestry of experiences and know-how because, um, you know, Regina actually worked for um, the Harris County Medical, Harris Health Center system, Harris Health System. And do y'all remember on the news, this was probably months ago, where an employee came in with a gun and shot another employee in the middle of the, well, that was Regina's, like she had taught those people. And so she had to experience um, active shooter training as a result of that tragedy at her workplace and has learned some interesting things. So y'all give it up for Dr. Regina Hall as she comes down. Dr. Hall. <laughs> Let's sit over here so we will be out of the way of the. Okay, so. Regina, would you just briefly explain what happened at the Harris Health System to necessitate the training? Um, well, you gave pretty much the synopsis. But anyway, there was a pharmacy technician who basically had a long-time crush on a pharmacist. She rejected him, and he brought a gun to work and shot her. Oh, my God. So what are some of the main things that you learned from the training? So... The three points that we talked yes. about? Yes, yes. I probably wouldn't talk to that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we had to go through an active shooter training as a result of that. And um, um, there, it's, it's a guy who was trained at SWAT. He's the only civilian that's trained by under SWAT, if that makes sense. But anyway, he came out to do the active shooter training. The first point... That um, the first point that I took away from it was that when humans are in the face of fear, that they lack creativity. So when you're scared, you don't think outside of the box. So we don't like to think of those things and practice those things out. But in your workplace, in your home, and even at church, you need to already have an escape plan or something if something was to happen during those times. Does that make sense? Because when you're faced with that, that 
You know, have you ever seen like on the news there'll be an active shooter and he'll line 12 people up. It'll be one scrawny person line 12 people up and they'll sit there and wait for them to get shot. When they could have jumped him, right? But when we're scared, we don't think. You, you like the jumping part. Um, but when we're scared, we don't think that way. Um, so always have a plan. Think those things through. Like, you know, I was even thinking through if someone came in here. This is like not the perfect room, but it's set up really great for, okay. My next point is, uh, the next point is when you see active shooters or people who commit these crimes, what do they normally look like, guys? Do they look like big G.I. Joe, Robocop, Arnold Schwarzenegger? No. They're pretty scrawny people, right? So remember, you are not outnumbered. If somebody came in here with a gun, we could take them down, right? We just have to have what? A plan. Um, and the plan is, is that you don't have to be a man to take someone down with a gun. You don't, have, you don't have to be that strong. You just have to be able to use your body weight. And so the first thing you do is, he was saying, is that to take someone down, you take their knees down. And when, when someone comes in with a the gun, they're usually like this, right? So you would take their hands down and their knees down at the same time, okay? So a group of people would do the knees and two people would do hands. The third point is when someone communicates that they want to harm you, believe them. Um, when Sut and the SWAT team, whatever, he captain, I don't know who he was, but anyway, what he said was, if someone gets up in the morning, prepares to come to a place, puts a gun and says, I'm going to shoot someone, when they walk in this door, they're going to shoot somebody. So don't waste your time saying, please don't do this. Why are you doing this? Because you're going to be the one to get shot. So believe that that person is here to harm you. Um, I think that was it. Yeah, it was like a four-hour training. By the time I left out of there, y'all was, oh, Lord. Uh, it was very exhausting. But if I, if y'all, if y'all hear anything that I said, I think the most important thing is is to think these things through, especially at work, because I went back to work like, okay, now how am I gonna get, you know? So think those things through in your home, your place of business, wherever you work or your church. Think of a plan. If something was to happen, how would you react during those situations? So that's it. Thank you. Let's, let's read them all together. Ready? The first one is, humans lack creativity in the face of fear. And so this is an interesting way to hold on to your, your truest likeness because all of us in here have gotten creative at some point. And so we need to maintain and hold on to our purest likeness even in the face of fear. And we'll talk about what to ground ourselves in to do that. Number two, let's read it together. Remember that you are not outnumbered. If one person comes in here with a gun, it's 40 of us in here. So it's 40 on one, even if they do have a gun. And then last, lastly, when someone communicates intent to harm, believe them. There is no reasoning. There is no negotiating. There is no talking them out of it. They're, they're, that's the role that they're playing today. They're, they're dangerous, and they're wanting to hurt some people. Now, I believe that when Jesus entered into the temple, I believe that he had that plan that Regina was talking about in place. I believe that he said, I know I'm about to see some stuff in here because he had probably heard of what was happening. And he had some questions in place that were a mental sifter for how he was going to design his behavior. Because you know we design our behavior, right? Don't nobody make us do nothing. We design what we do and then we execute it. 
no matter how quickly we respond to things, no matter what our knee-jerk reaction is, those are our personal choices that we have designed to implement, right? So Jesus had a mental sifter. I think the first thing he asked himself was, what is at stake? He said, if I go up in this temple and I see these people in here haggling over loans, selling doves, selling sheep and cattle, if I see them turning our temple into a flea market, what is at stake? And you, you answer that question. What's at stake if, if we were to turn this place on Sundays into a modern-day flea market? What's at stake? And people come in here thinking they're going to get some the spiritual... The integrity, the, the integrity of the space is at stake. What, what, what else is at stake? Some people's salvation. And when somebody's salvation is at stake, what's at stake? Their life, the quality of their lives, right? So Jesus was like, oh, no, the quality of somebody's life is at stake. The other thing you have to think about, I think Jesus thought about was, what's the next step of the plan? See, Jesus walked the earth fully aware of God's plan. So Jesus was like, what's the next step of the plan? So we read the scripture, but just answer this question. What was the next step of Jesus' plan? Upon getting to the temple in Jerusalem, what was the next step of Jesus' plan? Right. Well, had he got to the temple and everything was normal, what was the next step? Heal. Heal some people. Teach some people. Love some people. Right? And then we saw in verse 17 that him literally turning over the tables and driving out the livestock and driving out the people literally made room for the folks to come in. There was no room for their bodies in the temple, and it made room for them. And so the next thing I think Jesus asked himself was, what is there to make room for? He was like, it's, no, it's literally, practically, y'all, this does not work. There is no room for anybody to be up in here right now because of the shenanigans that's going on. This is dangerous. There is no room for people's, people who are outside, who are in pain right now. There is no room for, her, for them to come in and be healed. The last thing Jesus asked, and see, we always get to this place like, okay, well, what's at stake? You know, what, 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 what's going on here? You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 what, people's lives, okay. What's the next step of the plan? Well, we wanted to do this. What is there to make room for? Okay, we understand that there's some, some possibility to make room for. But Jesus asked himself, now what action must be taken? And that action was, I see some cords, and I'm about to turn these cords into a whip, and I'm about to whoop these people out of here. To me, that is, like, remarkable and hilarious. I would have loved to see that. Like, they, I have never seen a biblical interpretation where Jesus is like, whoops, uh-uh, you know. And so, to me, that's like modern-day Indian, well, biblical Indiana Jones. Pootie Tang. Jesus. Pootie Tang is Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And again, this was the end result. Now there was room for the blind and crippled to get in. They came to Jesus and what? He healed them. So the folks who were the loan sharks and the folks who were selling the, 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 the sheep and the cattle, they weren't thinking about these people. I don't think that Dylan was thinking about the people that he came in there and shot. He was somewhere else in his mind. I, my suspicion is that he's a part of a larger community that has taught him these values. And that larger community was like, yeah, do this, do that. And so he was thinking back to the meeting. He was thinking back to the, to the, to the community. He wasn't thinking about the people that he was presently hurting and their families that would be who now need healing. He wasn't thinking about that. And so now here is the, the caveat. Again, not trying to give us fuel to go and just 
go buck wild everywhere. So if there is, here's two scenarios. The first one is, if you're in a situation that seems dangerous, if you're in a situation where you perceive a threat, if you're in a situation, and I'm talking specifically to the fathers in the room, because usually you're the first line of defense, the daddies. If you're with your family, you are the first line of defense. If you're in a restaurant, if you're at the park, if you are at the mall, if you're at, the, at Disney World, even at Disney World, daddy is the first line of defense. If Mickey Mouse goes crazy, daddy is getting on Mickey Mouse first, right? <laughs> If there is still room for healing to take place during a dangerous time, that's when you move forward and turn the other cheek. Okay, somebody just yelled at us. Okay, there's still room for healing to take place. I just need to move my family forward. I don't need to stop and say, don't yell at me. You know, but I saw a family walking, a happy little family walking through the Galleria. And I saw a man say, your color is not my problem in a deep accent and then from the depth of his diaphragm, Spit on a man carrying his child. Now there is no there is no room for healing to take place. Yeah, he had to give his he had to take his baby off of his shoulders and give her to his wife and stop that man and say to his wife and baby, move forward, because I don't know what else this man is gonna do. If he's willing to project his body fluid onto us, I don't know what else he's gonna do. So if there is room for again, if there is room for healing to take place, move forward. If the person is just bumping gums, if the person is just uh, acting erratic and they haven't injured or endangered your person, you can move forward. However, if there is no room for healing to take place around this threat, what? Action must be taken. In Charleston, there was no room for healing to take place. That literally that house that was designed to be a house of prayer, that meeting that was designed to be a prayer meeting, when Dylan walked in, there was no room for healing to take place. Action must have been taken. Now, I wasn't there. I can only uh, read what, I, what we all read about the witnesses' account, so we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know exactly what was said. We don't know exactly um, what was going on, but we do know that nine people did not rush him at one time and try and take that gun. We do know that action, that kind of immediate action that could have saved those people's lives was not taken. So we are learning in the aftermath of that tragedy that as we move and breathe in the city as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that we must face God so that we can understand our purest likeness in him so we can know when action must be taken. We can know when to turn the other cheek and be peaceful as a dove, and we can know when to kick over some tables. So heads of the household, and heads of your own lives, these are the questions we ask ourselves. What's at stake for my family? What's at stake for myself if you are living as a single person operating your own household, which is a blessing? Whew. What is the next step of, of my vision for my family? Literally, what's supposed to happen next? Are we supposed to go and have a good time after this? Are we supposed to go home and go to sleep after this? Are we supposed to go and have a prayer meeting? Are we supposed to be together, healthy and whole, after this, after this moment? Is that the next step? Then what is there to make room for in this moment? And lastly, what action must be taken? Literally in the next moment, what do we need to do? That is a demonstration of our purest likeness and a demonstration of our faith. Matthew chapter 21, 
when he uh, finishes and goes on to Bethany, he stops and uh, he tries to find figs on the tree of Jesus. And he said, this fig tree is dead and the tree withers up. And the disciples are like, oh, my God, did we just see you kill a fig tree? And he's like, he's matter of fact, he's like, yes. And if you embrace this kingdom life and you don't doubt God, you not only do minor feats like I did to the fig tree, but also triumph over huge obstacles. This mountain, for instance, you'll tell, go jump in the lake and it'll jump. Absolutely everything, ranging from small to large, as you make it a part of your believing prayer, gets included as you lay hold of God. As we lay hold of God, we understand and return to our purest likeness. As we stand in our purest likeness, even when somebody walks in in the most dangerous situation possible, we are on our two feet, we are strong, we have intention, we have creativity, we have power, we know the possibility that we can take action. Only if we lay hold of God, only if we let him show us our purest likeness. There is no manual. There is no instruction. I love all of the, the, the things that I'm reading about the, the black community and why uh, that gentleman was allowed to be in the church for so long. And I'm like, okay, that's good. And next time, we know. We know that an act of prayer, a, a continual conversation with God will gird us even in the most impossible situations, big and small, as we make it a part of our believing power gets included as we lay hold of God. So that is my, um, my, my appeal to all of us here today, specifically the dads. I, I don't understand what it's like to be a father. I don't know what it's like to have to stand before God and account for how you led your family. I don't know. But I know that if you lay hold of God, and I know that if you lead your family as you walk in your purest likeness, only good things, all the good things that will flower and blossom in your life will happen. And even the Romans 8.28 things that God worked out for the good will become apparent.